Welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. This is Maureen Spielman, your host. Today, I interview Darlene Lancer. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist out of Santa Monica, California. Our conversation is riveting, if you ask me. We talk about codependency and shame, and we go into a bit about dream work as well. Darlene has just a really um, long list of blogs She's published several books, and she's a seasoned therapist. This episode is full of not only of her wisdom from being a psychologist, but also her own lived experience. So please listen in to the end. And also, if you have interest in joining us on the Mystical Sisterhood community platform, we'd love to see you there. We're building a community of women on a journey of self-reclamation. And the work can be found at www.mysticalsisterhood.com to find out more. Let me know if you have any questions and enjoy the episode. Hey there, welcome to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. I started this show to highlight the intuitives, healers, and other courageous women that I've met along my journey and continue to meet. Through amazing interviews, I seek to ask insightful questions to uncover ways in which you, the listener, can apply the wisdom and knowledge to your own life. I believe that we're all in this together, so sharing healing and joy and bringing community together is both my passion and purpose. If you'd like to learn more about the Mystical Sisterhood community I'm building, please visit www.mysticalsisterhood.com. See you in the episode. Welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. And today I am with Darlene Lancer. I'm very excited about this interview. Uh, Darlene came into my world unbeknownst to her, probably in the last one or two months where I had discovered her work online. Darlene is a licensed marriage and family therapist and has a very, to me, wide body of work on a number of subjects. She has written a few books, um, including Codependency for Dummies and Conquering Shame and Codependency, Eight Steps to Freeing the Two You, and Dating, Loving, and Leaving a Narcissist. I was drawn to many of these subjects when I asked Darlene to come on the podcast. Today, we are specifically going to be looking at codependency and soul alignment. So um, with that, I want to say welcome to you, Darlene, and thanks for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Your show is really intriguing to me because I'm very interested in, in the soul, and I think that also relates to recovery, and it's been a personal journey of mine as well. Uh, I hear you. And I just, when we talked the other day, pre-recording the podcast, you know, you kind of dove into some of your story, but if I just said, okay, Darlene, let's begin at the beginning, what comes to you and where would you like to begin today's interview? Well, the beginning was my interest in the psyche when I was a little girl. Mm. So I first saw um, this story, I think that's the title, the story of Bridie Murphy. And it was about a woman who went to see a psychiatrist for some 
problems or no, maybe it was just a friend that was hypnotizing her. And uh, she discovered she had past lives. And I thought that was really interesting. And then I saw the three faces of Eve. And that was about someone with a multiple personality disorder. Hmm. And I was just a little girl at that time, maybe not even 10 years old. And then I read my brother's uh, medical book because he was in medical school uh, by Sigmund Freud, Freud's Interpretation of Dreams, which is a huge volume. And I was reading it with a flashlight <laughs> in bed <laughs> at night, and I was like so absorbed in it. And I used to really um, be fascinated by my dreams, and they were like uh, fairy tales to me. And I would plan them and like uh, revel in them. So I was very interested in them. And as I got older, I read Carl Jung in high school and college, and my whole world expanded. And I decided I wanted to be a psychologist way back then. And then I got sidetracked and became a lawyer. <laughs> of <all things. laughs> Quite the opposite. And uh, then part of my recovery was journeying back to what I originally wanted to do, which was be a writer and be a therapist. And uh, so that's what eventually I did. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. When you talk about those early years of your life, first of all, it's so striking that the memories of all the curiosity, I feel like there was curiosity and creativity in there with curiosity and your waking hours to explore and discover. And then that creativity that sort of came out in your dreams, it feels like. Yeah, I um, also was introduced uh, to the work of J.B. Ryan when I was about nine years old, because my brother had a book on it and told me about it. And he was doing research at York University. This is decades ago. Mm -hmm. It was very early in the field. And I guess I read the book and I started testing my paranormal <laughs> abilities. <laughs> and I, I think my, my siblings were kind of playing with me and I would like try to guess, you know, what card that they were picking out of a pile or what number they were thinking of. And, and maybe they were playing along. With it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, you know, intuited what they were thinking or finding. So I was, very interested. And then I was having psychic dreams when I was a teenager mm. that were kind of blew my mind. And yeah. So I was always interested in spirit and, and, you know, otherworldly things. And, mm -hmm. and so. it, and it feels like a lot of self-discovery alongside that. That's and right. when you are talking about your younger years, I heard you say a couple times, just in the introduction here that, you change careers. I think you said it after recovery. Yes. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Okay. Well, I was uh, a lawyer for many years, entertainment lawyer, and I wasn't happy at it, although I was successful. And uh, I was more interested in reading about spirituality and psychology and things like that, rather than the latest, you know, things happening in my field or the latest <laughs> yeah. cases and that was kind of boring to me and um i a friend said to me you know why don't i 
Psychology is one of the options or a few others that I was exploring. And uh, she said, why don't I volunteer at this local clinic uh, that allowed peer counselors to do counseling? And I did. And it was like, oh, my God, I feel like I've come home. Wow. Yeah. And I decided to return to graduate school and get another degree. And I told the um, dean there when I was being interviewed, it was like taking heart vitamins. Mm -hmm. So it was very different from practicing law. Yes. And then I actually, after I made the decision, I remembered, I'd forgotten that that's what I wanted to do. So I actually remembered Mm. that that was what I wanted to do as a kid. And I think I decided not to because back then, uh, psychology didn't have such a good reputation. Uh, It was a little bit out, considered kind of flaky. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. um, I thought I'd want to be a psychiatrist. But the thought of eight years of, you know, graduate work, oh, I could never (laughs) stick to it. Absolutely. So I'll become a lawyer, you know, <laughs> right? So <laughs> only three years. <laughs> you're making it makes me laugh, Darlene, because I had gone into nursing my first two years in college, and mm-hmm. it was a time when I had a couple aunts who were nurses, and they said, "Oh, Maureen, it's not a great profession right now because it was the landscape was really shifting." And so I said, okay. And I just switched to, of all things, political science. (laughs) So it took me years to say like, wait a minute, that's not for me. It sort of reminds me of your diversion into a three-year law program. Political science was my undergraduate. (laughs) Is it really? Yeah. (laughs) And I wanted to be a diplomat. Mm -hmm. And then during the Vietnam War, I got so turned off to the State Department Mm -hmm. And the war effort and all of that, that I uh, thought, no, I couldn't, couldn't do that. Yeah, I can see that. that. Right. I'm not surprised to hear you say that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when you started going into the field of psychology and, and therapy, did you specialize early or did you sort of feel your way out? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. As I've written, I was married to a, um, an alcoholic. And I had been in Al-Anon. And so I had begun my recovery um, sometime much earlier. And actually that led to my uh, career change, starting to uncover who I really was and um, my uh, divorce, all of that came out of my work in 12-step programs, working on myself, mm-hmm. and I was becoming more of who I was meant to be, um, which I've written about as like soul alignment, in my opinion. Yes. Uh, yes. Getting back to your topic. And uh, so I started doing uh, therapy with clients, and I was writing blogs. And then uh, John Wiley and Sons approached me they read my blog on are you codependent and asked me to write a book. Well, first I had to compete with some other psychologists and authors. And they asked me, it was about writing a book on codependency for dummies. Mm -hmm. And I had to do an outline of it. And after I was uh, given this opportunity, I thought, Oh my God, this is like, 
everything I'm doing with clients. It's my own story. Mm-hmm. It's like I know it inside out, but I never named it. It wasn't the name I had written, uh, read um, about codependency, but it wasn't as popularized. And in 12-step meetings, um, in the Al-Anon meeting I was in, they didn't talk about uh psychological terms that was kind of frowned upon mm-hmm. way back then fortunately mm-hmm. it's much more um widespread um known to people talk about ptsd and trauma and intimacy issues and mental illness all of that is um, much more out in the open but back in those days it wasn't and um i think coda meetings codependency anonymous um, they were just getting off the ground. It was a very new program. So uh, I wasn't labeling what I was doing or my journey, but once I was given the opportunity to write the book, I thought, yes. Right. <laughs> and I wrote such a comprehensive outline and, you know, first chapter that they immediately gave me the, they gave me the position and then <laughs> I wrote that book and um, had, was asked to write about 300 pages, 280 or something. And I didn't know how I could write that much. And I ended up writing like <laughs> 325 or something like way over. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, they thought it's so good. They wanted it. They expanded the book. Right. And then I did a second edition a few years later, and Hazelton asked me to write a book on shame and codependency because they had um, Green Brown was one of their authors, and her book on shame was successful. Mm-hmm. And they read my blog on shame is the core of codependency. Mm-hmm. And actually, the blog was shame is the core of addiction. I think it underlies codependency and addiction. And you can consider codependency a form of addiction too. Yeah. And so they hired me to write that book. So those were, so my career as an author was really launched. And then I was writing my own books, self-publishing my own books and recently wrote one on narcissism. Mm -hmm. And I find it interesting because my background in codependency and shame comes together uh, it just folds together when you talk about narcissism because shame underlines narcissism. It underlies codependency and uh, it brings it all together because in my perspective, narcissists are codependent too, which is a kind of a minority view, but there is some research on that. Yeah. If you were um, to say, I know I was reading one of your blog posts and it, you had said that there are many different um, definitions of codependency. And I was wondering, what is your definition? Okay, well, it's someone whose thinking and behavior revolve around something external, uh, a process, which would be like gambling, sex addiction, shopping, um, a substance like food or alcohol drugs, or another person, Mm -hmm. which includes Mm -hmm. codependency. And it's someone who doesn't 
And they do that because they can't access their innate self. Okay. So recovery is about recovering your relationship with yourself. And due to dysfunctional parenting or early trauma, that connection gets interrupted. Mm-hmm. It's like the hardware is there, but the software isn't. So we have all the wiring. We just have to start to turn our focus back to ourselves and learn to access and identify our feelings, our needs, get our voice back. Because a lot of it is learning, okay. learning new skills. You know, it's damaged self-esteem due to shaming, and we can raise our self-esteem. It's you, dysfunctional communication. We can learn to be assertive. Okay. Yeah. I like listening to your description and even how you started with uh, the terms of shame, codependency, uh, narcissism. But with the, the one term that I've heard more recently, I feel like codependent is a term that I've heard over the years and then it reminds me of that term enmeshment also um, uh-huh. of when you're just so deeply enmeshed with something on the outside. How does one know that either maybe their parents, would they have something codependent, I guess, with another person in their life? How would you kind of know that about yourself? Is it just through such a loss of sense of self? Well, I'll give you an example. When I was, um, I was very independent as a teenager. I traveled through Europe by myself. Mm-hmm. I would go to plays and opera by myself uh, when I was just like 16, 17. And then I got married and it was very odd. I noticed that um, well, my husband was, I don't know, home drinking or watching TV or whatever he was doing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to take uh, our child to the park. And um, I did that with our my first child. And then by the time my second child was born, if my husband wouldn't go with me, I, I didn't go. Uh, if I wanted to watch a TV show and he said, no, I'm going to bed, I would just go to bed. I wouldn't stay up and watch it. So oh, wow. okay. I, mm-hmm. I, and I, I just noticed, observed this in myself. This is just very strange. I didn't know why or what it was or how that happened, but I was gradually losing my autonomy and my voice. And that's one example. Another is just um, low self-esteem. You might not know you have low self-esteem. A lot of people think they have good Mm self-esteem when they really don't. And most people are not too conscious of their inner talk. So I tell people, you know, how you talk talk and think about yourself reflects your self-esteem. Whether you trust yourself, whether you can make decisions, or you're very confused, or um, you ask other people, mm-hmm. can't make decisions, those are signs of lack of self-trust. So pay attention to your inner talk. If you put yourself down, you say, I shouldn't have done that, I should do that. Are you very indecisive? And fearful to take positions? Are you easily persuaded um, by someone else's mm-hmm. opinion? Yeah. Or afraid to speak up? Uh, unsure of how you, what you think about things? It shows a weak sense of self. Mm-hmm. 
it feels like a you shaming yourself. Do you talk, when you listen to yourself talk, do you put yourself down? Yeah. Feel mm-hmm. inferior. I mean, most codependents, if they're really honest with themselves, it may be hard to admit that they they're afraid people don't like them. Okay. Yeah. Well, those are really good examples and um, it becomes more clear to me. I feel like probably a codependent would have poor boundaries. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. the other signs are you focus on someone else. You're always thinking, like I was always wondering, what is my husband, you know, what's he going to do next? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, how can I um, not upset him? Yeah. So if you're, it was an abusive relationship. So it really comes out in, you know, technicolor when you're with an abuser because you don't feel safe. And you probably it was this way with a parent where you didn't want to get in trouble. So you become hyper vigilant. So it starts uh, with trying to please or um, stay safe with a parent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. or get their attention mm-hmm. if they're unavailable. And so you're looking outward. So I have a blog on my website. It's like um, paradise lost. You know, what What happened to my true self? Mm-hmm. Because a baby that has uh, an attentive, nurturing caretaker, supposedly the mother usually, you know, it can just feel in bliss. And no, when it's hungry, it'll be fed. When it's wet, it'll be changed. And it's not alone too long. It'll be held. But if the mother is not there or she comes and she's tense or rough with the baby or preoccupied or whatever, you know, that baby's going to be wondering what is mother's mood? And you just have to know, you know, can is it okay to cry or is it not or what is she thinking? They start attuning to the mother. Mm-hmm. In infancy. And then that gets worse, you know, when you, you're you a year old or something and your your parent is uh, on the phone, all, on the cell phone all the time. Right. Or is depressed mm-hmm. or is fighting or, you know, there's not enough food or money and is stressed. So those are some signs. If you're trying to control, not just watch your partner, but kind of control them and, Tell them what to do and change them. So you're more focused on changing your partner than yourself, which I was when I was Mm -hmm. told I had a problem and she'd Mm -hmm. go to 12 step meetings. I was insulted. I thought, Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem. It's my husband. And you mentioned enmeshment and boundaries. So a sign of enmeshment is like when you're overreacting, you take in whatever. Someone says you think it's true. Uh, The other was when you don't have clear ideas. Mm -hmm. I said, but but another one that's is very can be very subtle is you react. So if your partner is angry, you think, "Oh, I'm in trouble. (laughs) I did something wrong." Yeah. If your partner's sad, you think, "What did I do to upset them?" Or they say they're sad, and then you think. Oh, I guess I'm not doing a good spouse or something. Yeah. And if you're angry, you think Mm -hmm. what it yeah. So you're overreacting to everything. You can't let the other person have their own feelings. Yes. And you don't have your own feelings. It's all well, mixed up. You get confused. What do I feel? Is that his feeling or Mm -hmm. my feeling? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It's all a mishmash. Now, codependents can have rigid boundaries or a parent that's unavailable. Mm -hmm. Instead of enmeshment, they're neglected. So it could be the opposite. Or you don't let anybody in. You don't get close to people. Yeah. It's self-protective. Yeah. I can see shades of my former self and a lot of this, Darlene. And I think that uh, you're right when it's really, um, we're not brought up with the emotional language. And so sometimes even when um, something you said about self-esteem earlier, I thought was very interesting how we can have a perception of ourselves that our self-esteem, or I think the other word that's sometimes kind of hard to grasp what it understands is around our worthiness. And you can have these behaviors that someone, maybe a therapist might say, well, do you feel worthy? And you, oh yeah, I I feel completely worthy. But it's such a, the worthiness I feel like is such a core piece of part of us that you're saying kind of gets lost, not kind of, it does get lost along the way through our experiences. And that's no matter how it shows up for us, that's, I feel like that's pretty much for everybody in some way we've given away parts of ourselves. So, Mm -hmm. but great examples that you're providing about how it shows up. And um, it seems like we could also fall somewhere on a continuum of the, any of these terms. And it's hard to know also because denial is a symptom. So Mm. people say, how can I help my partner is so codependent? Well, if if your partner's codependent, chances are you are too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I had an argument with my editor when I wrote the Conquering Shame because they were very um, linear, I don't know, rigid in their thinking. And they thought, uh, um, because as I told you, my definition includes addicts. They said an addict can't be codependent because they're in a relationship with a codependent. So how could an addict be codependent? Well, if you talk to addicts who are in recovery, they will admit they're codependent. Maybe first it's with a drug or something, mm-hmm. alcohol. And then underneath that, in a, when they're getting a relationship, they have intimacy problems. They have all the same issues. Yeah. Um, and I, I explain that in my book. Other signs are, Irrational guilt. Did you feel guilty all the time? Yeah. Uh, perfectionism. Those come from, those are defenses to shame. Mm, okay. uh, and of course, dependency. It's like my example about, you know, not going to the park. You become dependent on someone. Yes. Uh, your worth is in taking care of someone. Else. Mm-hmm. Maybe codependents think it comes from the shame too. They think uh, if someone loves me, then I'm lovable. Well, that's a false belief. Mm-hmm. Or I have mm-hmm. to be perfect to be loved. Yeah. You know, I have to be flawless to be loved. Mm-hmm. Um, you're lovable for who you are, mm-hmm. not for what you do, or not just because someone else loves you. Because there are a lot of people that won't like you or love you that doesn't make you <laughs> unlovable. Right. Yes. And it is the re- the reclamation of our worth. So when you begin to work with people, or even for our listeners today. And if they see shades of themselves in what you're saying or in their life somewhere, what's the beginning steps to kind of begin to reclaim yourself? Yeah. Well, codependency for dummies is laid out like a treatment plan. Is it? Okay. So, but one of the first things I tell people is 
start journaling, mm-hmm. you know, read all you can about it. Go to Codependence Anonymous meetings. If there's an addict in your life, go to, or a parent, even if they're dead now, but if you're a child of an addict or alcohol, I, addict includes any kind of addiction, mm-hmm. uh, go to Al-Anon meetings too. Mm. Um and learn all you can and start paying attention to your self-talk, as I said. Okay. Start mm-hmm. identifying that. And uh, my, there's so many blogs on my website, too. Start identifying your beliefs. Mm-hmm. Learn to name your feelings. I wasn't able to identify my feelings as a, as a beginner. Yep. So mm-hmm. if your parents, that's one of their jobs is to help you identify feelings and mirror you. Yes. Yes. It reminds me something you're saying of how people and, and, you know, some of the people that you're referring to are people like us who have had experiences is that idea that, um, you know, you are traumatized to some degree and then your, uh, your fight or flight is activated. But that idea of you're kind of, it feels like codependents are sometimes scanning their environment just to, you may have mentioned that just to see the reaction of they're just on high alert and highly alert to others' reactions and dictating their then responsive behavior. Right. You know, you Mm -hmm. point out something interesting and now there's all this new research on uh, trauma and PTSD and the nervous system that wasn't around like 30 years ago. Mm -hmm or it wasn't popular, let's say that. Um, but it wasn't until I was in a re- uh, really safe relationship where I realized that I never felt safe. Yeah. And that is a problem mm-hmm. for codependents because they don't feel safe in their, they might say, oh, I, I felt loved, but that doesn't mean that you felt safe. Yeah. Um, or that you actually got the love, kind of love you needed because mm-hmm. a parent, has to I go into this in conquering shame and codependency. Uh, a parent has to want a relationship with your true self, with who you really are. Yeah. And it's not enough to say, I love you or buy you whatever you want or need. Mm-hmm. They have to want to spend time with you and listen to you and support you as an individual, not the idea of what they want you to be, not because you get good grades or, or an athlete, or any of that. So, um, and so we often are trying, striving to become that ideal that our parent wanted mm-hmm. and we lose our, our true self. And anyway, so you may not have felt safe to be yourself or to speak your mind or whatever it was as a, as a child. And then you get into relationships that are similar and then a lot of, and this also applies to abusive and narcissistic relationships, especially. So you date someone, and of course, you don't know that they're an abuser or a narcissist in the beginning. They're very romantic and charming. So what happens is that many people confuse excitement and insecurity. So they don't realize that they don't feel safe. Yes. Um, and there, there's some apprehension there. 
And it's not that the person's going to hit you. It's right. that you can't say, no, I don't feel like doing that. Or don't touch me. <laughs> or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Saying no, um, you know. Right. That Whatever what- it is, you, you want to get along, go, you know, Koda wants want to go along to get along. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, you're not then going to give yourself the permission to do any of those things. Um, and when you talk about the safety, um, I know in my coaching classes with my teacher, Susie Lula, we talk a lot about that idea of safety within your own consciousness. And it reminds me of what you're saying about negative self-talk and that, that, that can create a really um, just negative self self loop that we're on and that we're being called to create a new relationship with ourselves and make it safe for ourselves to land. So not like you're saying, like not shaming ourselves, not guilting ourselves, not making ourselves bad or wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. You got to change that negative feedback loop. I have examples of that in my books Mm -hmm. to a positive feedback. And just like you, you know, you can get into, I call it a, like the well of shame. You fall into a well and you can barely get yourself out. You could hang out there for days, months, years, or your lifetime. uh, Or you can create a positive, turn it around. You just reverse, just reverse engineer it. And give yourself positive self-talk because your unconscious believes what you say is very concrete and literal. As mm-hmm. much as if someone else says, hmm. but you have to say things that you believe are true. Right. So, so you yeah. might not be able to say, I love myself, but you might be able to say, I'm, um, I want to love myself. I'm working towards loving myself. Um, there are things, and, and there are things that I like about myself. Mm-hmm. So it has to be. You have to be honest with yourself when mm-hmm. you're saying, to make it mm-hmm. positive. And uh, that seems to me too, you just begin to let the light in. If you were, uh, will allow yourself to just begin to say those statements you just said, that it's just, just slowly allowing a new experience. I had a question too. I'm thinking that, of course, the coaches that I've trained with are largely women, Darlene. And so what about men in this work? I think that that's a question I have. Are they as apt as women to come to the work? Um, I know it's as worthy, but any thoughts on that? Well, women tend to go into therapy more than men. Uh-huh. Um, they tend to ruminate more mm-hmm. and more towards depression. Women. Okay. And they uh, have been socialized to be it's less less today, but in years past, and in some many cultures and religions, to be more subservient to a man's and and also to be caretakers. Yeah. So there's more of a programming towards codependence. Okay. Um, yeah. Parents will encourage the independence and autonomy of boys before girls mm-hmm. they're more fearful of their mm-hmm. daughters being hurt getting pregnant and they'll encourage their sons to take more risks okay. usually and yeah. actually in the research there's some blogs on my website on self-esteem that go into this uh, girls 
uh, are independent and mature faster than boys when they're very young. Mm -hmm. But then by the time they get into their late teens, the boys go ahead. So now girls are thinking about, you know, being a partner. And sometimes that's a priority, getting married rather than having a career or something. Right. Right. Yeah. And I see my daughter is 19 now. And although things are changing and we know that this information is becoming more and more accessible, I think it's just going to take decades to really make it a, just a bigger wave of change coming through, but we've got to start somewhere and you've been doing the work for quite some time. So I love our, this conversation today because it is so educational And I think when people listen to it, that they just say like, oh, that's, I relate to that. And it can just lead to the awakening, which is eventually the soul alignment. I wanted to also touch upon, because when we met the other day, I think we, I told you, oh yeah. When you mentioned the dreams that, um, I know it's a little bit of a side path, but how you've been so guided by dreams in your life and, um, I just wanted you to share some of that with the audience, because I think it's a way we receive information or can that probably has to do with our soul alignment. So I just thought it was fascinating. You're living your life by your dreams. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, in anticipation of uh, our conversation, I just posted on social media today, Mm -hmm. um, a, a, blog about dreams and uh, as the doorway to the soul speaking mm-hmm. of soul mm-hmm. and uh carl jung thought that it was like a hidden door to the deep unconscious and freud said it's the royal road to the unconscious so you know you can get guidance from your dreams about relationships that you're in uh projects you're undertaking warnings uh they, they will lift you up when you're too down and uh, point out your um, when you're inflated, when you get too, uh, your ego gets too big. Um, and they will bring up things that need to be healed. So I've done a lot of dream interpretation with people. And I remember one woman, she was very happily married and um, things were, you know, really on track in her life. And she started having these strange dreams, which I don't remember the dream, but the interpretation was it had to do with abuse in her childhood that she never dealt with, but it didn't come up until she finally felt safe. Wow. (laughs) She had a loving partner and everything was going great in her life. And now it was like, now she felt safe enough to, to have these dreams. And I remember when I left my husband, um, who was also physically abusive. Uh, it was about two weeks later and um, I was in a safe place and I had a dream. I woke up in the middle of the night with a dream of, um, I don't remember if it was him or just somebody strangling me. And I was like trying to scream. So I didn't have that when I was married. Yes. But once I was out of the house, it was like the PTSD you know, the dreams were like haunting me. And I had dreams over the years of him. Mm -hmm. And they, 
went from abuse to fighting, standing up and fighting back. And then eventually, like he was waiting on me and <laughs> bringing me breakfast <laughs> and bed and flowers. And I would say, you know, he'd want a relationship with me. I'd say, no, thank you. Yes. <laughs> like, so that the, the whole, there was a whole metamorphosis as I was like healing inside. And mm-hmm. I had a dream, maybe I mentioned to you in the 90s, that um, I would go into the forest and uh, like journal and uh, reclaim title to myself. Mm. And then I would write about it and share with others. So that was like, um, I don't want much long. That was around 95, 15 years before I got my book contract. (laughs) (laughs) Did you always? Yeah. Oh, those are fascinating. You did. You did um, mention the one too. You didn't tell me about the forest one, but the one when you, I think it was something around waking up next to shame. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I I was teaching about self-esteem when I was a new therapist. And I didn't realize that I had work, my own work to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought my self-esteem was pretty good. And then, and I put this in my book on shame. I had a dream that I was sleeping next to a woman. Her name was shame. And I wanted to kick her out of the bed. <laughs> I didn't want to know her. Right. So most people are not aware that they have shame. It's not talked about much in Western cultures compared to uh, Asia, Latin America. I didn't know that. Uh, But it definitely is there just as much. Um, We talk more about guilt. Mm -hmm. So, And there's a big difference that I go into in my book. Yes. Okay. Uh, The dreams are fascinating. Do you have practices to, it sounds like they come quite naturally to you now, but when you talk to people about dreams, are there practices that we can almost encourage dreams more within ourselves? Um, oh, absolutely. Okay. What would, so, what would those be? Um, well, if you're in therapy, start talking about your dreams and you'll start dreaming more. Okay. Um, but the main thing is like, before you go to sleep, you know, ask for a dream. You know, I've asked for guidance. In dreams. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had a lot of I've had a lot of precognitive dreams of something that was going to happen and then it happened. Yes. And guidance of how to handle things. Wow. Preparing Mm -hmm. me. So ask for a dream. And then this is very important before, when you start to wake up, train yourself to the first thought is what, what am I dreaming? Don't open your eyes. Don't move. Don't turn over. Certainly don't get out of bed. Um, And and stay in and try to recall your dream. Okay. Have pencil and paper or a recording machine by you or your phone so you can record it because you'll forget. If you get into your day too quickly, mm-hmm. you forget. If you have a habit of meditating, you might remember. Mm-hmm. You wake up because you're closer to your unconscious. Also, sometimes I remember dreams in the shower. Mm-hmm. And it was explained to me that the repetitive tapping of the water cues your unconscious. So if you shower first thing, you know, just don't think about your day ahead. Just kind of relax and close your eyes and, and see if you can recall what you were dreaming. 
and then the shower. I think that that's always fascinating when you have been awake for a little bit and you, you have that realization of like, oh my God, that was my dream. But all really good takeaways for our dream world. And yeah, I ha- I do use my notes app and my daughter just bought me a dream journal for uh, the holidays, but I like writing them down and I'll go back and look at them and I'll just have no recollection unless it was something that was so standout-ish. And um, yeah, I feel like I had one just last night that was probably based on fear, a fear of mine. So I love that. Um, darling, so, we've- I want to say one, one other thing. Yes. If you're starting to write down dreams, mm-hmm. I highly recommend, you know, write it down by hand. Okay. But I highly recommend that you, if you're really interested in your dream life, to transfer it to a digital copy, a Word document or something. Because, And I regret that I haven't done this because you may want to search for keywords because mm. you might dream about, let's say, a brother or um, a certain place or event. And, and then you want to look, you know, I have like, dozens of journals. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I, I can't like find where that dream was. And sometimes I have dreams like a sequel mm-hmm. a series. So if you have it digitally, you can always search for a certain word and uh, you know, that would be great. Oh my gosh. That's fascinating. I love it. I thank you so much for sharing such a, just I don't know. Just today was great. You touched on so many things. I know I could talk to you forever. Um, You've named your blogs, but when the listeners go to find you, where should they find you? Where can they find you? Well, you just put my name in Google. You'll find me, but I'm on all social media. I'm not on TikTok, but I'm on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and Pinterest. And uh, you have a YouTube channel. Okay. And, uh, most of my podcasts are on the media page of my website, mm-hmm. but it's codependency.com or you can get there uh, from darlenelancer.com. And there's more on like soul alignment stuff okay. on that website. Yes. Um, I love it. Yeah. I, everything that you're talking about today is noticing the patterns. How, how were we nurtured or not nurtured as kids? What, you know, as a result, how did we, kind of show up as adults and what kind of relationships we came into being, whether it's another person or a substance, but that eventually the call will be to come back to ourselves and that soul alignment that you're talking about. And I just want to just thank you again for being here and for also um, creating so many rich resources for people Mm -hmm. to access because I was on what is codependency.com and you've just provided, I mean, there are just tens upon tens, if not hundreds of blog posts where people can just go learn and they're, and they're not exactly bite-sized. They're a little bit longer, but they allow you to learn more about yourself. Thank you. Yes. I mm-hmm. have over 200 blogs. I also blog on medium. Okay. People there. So um, yes. Okay. Yeah. I like to educate. And Mm -hmm. I try to keep my prices low so more people can access um, my materials and all my all my books and work ebooks are workbooks. So there's exercises there where you can do um, 
you know, self-help and people write reviews mm-hmm. telling you that, that doing so really has changed their lives. So, yeah, well, and it surprises me. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, even for all the coaches out there listening today, that they're great resources and therapists for your, pra- your yeah. practices to go deeper and learn more. Because yeah, a lot of therapists are using my books, I find out. Yeah, yeah beautiful. Okay, Darlene, thank you so much. And I will include all your resources in the show notes of the episode. Mm-hmm. And um, to the listeners, thank you for being here. And we'll see you next time. Okay, thank you, Maureen. You're a terrific host. It's been real fun. Ah, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mystical Sisterhood. If you love what you heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and subscribe and leave a review and share with a friend if you're called to do so. To learn more about my one-on-one coaching programs or join the Mystical Sisterhood membership, visit MaureenSpielman.com or MysticalSisterhood.com. Thanks so much. I'll see you in the next episode.